Well, uh, we're continuing with a little bit of uh, starting the year off here with some vision type things. And one of the core things around here at Lakeland has been our, um, just bluntly, our record-setting ability to be charitable and generous and help people all around the world as well as in our own neighborhood. And so I kind of wanted to get back to some core value on that. So if you have your Bible, uh, actually you all have a Bible, it just happens to be on your phone. Uh, So the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, it's the story of Zacchaeus, if you're churched and you know this little story, um, all the way perhaps back in Sunday school or whatever. So, uh, but it is from uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So, would you stand, please, for the gospel of our Lord? So, Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through it, that he is Jesus. A man was there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, He's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation's come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Amen. The word of the Lord. Have a seat. So you might want to keep it open, because uh, it's just a good story. It's a nice, compact story, and it works well. It's... One of the most curious and challenging encounters of Jesus, despite it being sort of simplified in Sunday school, uh, we little Zacchaeus and that sort of thing, must have been invented by the Scottish, I suppose. Uh, But um, it's an interesting, challenging story that Jesus has. Um, If you go into the deep theology and historical background, it's a lot about him being returned to the children of Abraham and you know, being back in the tribal community and all that, but we're not really going to pay much attention to that today. We're going to get to the point about his heart. And so I I doubt that Zacchaeus, this is, of course, reading into the text, I doubt that Zacchaeus got up that morning thinking, my entire life is going to change when I go to try and see this rabbi Jesus. He probably didn't really think about that, although his curiosity certainly got the better of him. And so he sought out Jesus. Zacchaeus wanted to get just simply a better view and idea of who this popular rabbi is. A celebrity was in town. So let's imagine Zacchaeus' journey then to generosity, okay? Because he starts out not generous and ends up being extremely generous. Let's imagine it like one of those um, anatomy lessons, okay? So a little anatomy lesson. I don't know if you guys over there can see this as well, but I'll turn it a smidge and sorry. So... um, Okay, just put it back where it was. Okay, stop trying to make everybody happy. All right, so um, it's an anatomy lesson. Let's kind of go with this sort of a vibe on this thing and uh, to kind of see his journey. So um, now you and I will have to take this journey as well. And I think generosity is not just a one-moment thing where you suddenly become generous. 
A little bit like Zacchaeus, of course. But for the rest of us, it typically takes several steps. But there are some fundamental things that have to happen, so let's begin. The first feature of a God-honoring giver is really uh, a heart matter. And it has to do with what song really is in your heart, right? So there has to be some kind of a song inside the heart of a giver. What is the song playing in your life right now? What song is playing? Is it just some geezer rock or some hip-hop or whatever? I'm not really quite talking about that, although it might be very real. Instead, I'm really talking about what sort of song of your soul is going on. And if we hear the music playing in the background of a giver's anatomy and their journey and their soul here, it would be Amazing Grace. Low-hanging fruit, I understand, but no duh. It would be amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a self-focused, sin-drenched wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It's this sort of thing. Who I once was is gone, and who I now am in Jesus is everything. So we have to ask this fundamental question about Zacchaeus before he encounters Jesus. Is he a giver or a taker? He's a taker. Yeah, he's a taker. I believe it's easy to see that he's a taker. While Zacchaeus has everything money could buy, he is most likely deeply alone, if not lonely, and inside is very empty. His working model on how to fix that apparently became become as rich as you can, even if it causes you to lose your tribal allegiance and belonging as a son of Abraham. That's a desperate man. And taking was the only thing he knew. He's a social outcast because he's taking taxes for the Roman Empire. And if we look into Zacchaeus' heart and soul, you know what we find? We find then a very clenched fist. this and for all of us in the room yes i understand the anatomy is not quite working but um so um okay it's a drawing people um okay um all the the ocd people in the room like oh that was gonna bug me so bad like uh all right so um anyway um so he's a clenched fist. And I'm not just talking about holding on to his money tightly. I'm talking about his ability to even feel love. It's not an open hand. He, he can't be uh, seem to even perceive that anybody would accept him in this world. So who knows what turned him into a tight-fisted taker. The gospel tells us that he's quite short. Who knows? This is all speculation. Was he picked on? Uh, did he feel small as a kid or whatever? Maybe he figured out the only way he could be big was to just be wealthy because he thought everybody would respect or at least he'd have power that way. And his only source of power in that day was to sell his soul and become rich. Maybe Zacchaeus figured out that if you have money, you can get whatever you want out of people. You can just force them to do your bidding. You can even buy friends if you, you know, have enough money. Of course, unfortunately, usually for tax collectors, their only friends were fellow tax collectors. So here's an interesting condition. Whatever song, then, is in your heart, whatever song is in your heart, whether it's a bitter song or whatever, there seems to be, then, 
a direct correlation between this song right here and what goes on down here. Yes? Whatever's going on in your heart, that's the condition of your giving in your hand. Are you a giver or a taker? At the core foundational heart and the soul believes of the taker is this sense of, of really they think of the world in terms of justice, black and white justice, economic justice if you want to call it that. Justice says you mess up, you pay. If you earn it, it's yours to keep. Keep your hands off my pile. You work hard, you work smart, you get what you deserve. The poor and the stupid and their poverty, that's their fault. Not my problem. The homeless, they just aren't motivated. He who dies with the most toys wins. Are you checking yourself right now? You should be. Economic justice is the heart of the taker. There's no such thing as amazing grace in the heart of a taker. But over the visit, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and through a radical, unpredictable, free gift of love and acceptance of Zacchaeus, Jesus slowly pries open the clutching fist of this lifelong taker. And over the better part of an evening, we assume, during the dinner somehow, while they're still sitting at the table, Zacchaeus stands up and demonstrates and he opens up his hand into amazing grace. And he declares that he'll pay back everyone that he's cheated with interest, and he's given away half of all of his possessions to the poor. And it doesn't make good sense, good business sense. And it cost him fortunes in his luxurious lifestyle. But he gets back in the family and regains who he's supposed to be, his identity. And the former closed fist becomes an open hand. And he lives his life as an open hand. He is like the former closed-fisted, hard-hearted slave ship captain, John Newton, from the 18th century, British, who wrote the words to Amazing Grace over 200 years ago, if you know the story. He was as wealthy as anyone can imagine because he was a slaver. And his heart melted one night, on a stormy night in the Atlantic, with a full cargo load of human chattel. And he fell on his knees and he cried out to God, I am so lost and I want to be found by you, God. So too Zacchaeus is transformed that day with Jesus. And at the end of the visit, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, Jesus declares that incredible phrase, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, worth memorizing over and over and over. Salvation's come to this house. For I came to seek out and to save what was lost. Jesus came to seek out and to save what was lost. And we may be Christians and we may go to church and we may do a lot of different things that look religious. And we can still be lost because the song in our heart's wrong. We haven't learned to give our life away in order to regain it. Because that was Jesus' mission and he can do it with you and me. The God-honoring honoring giver starts out with a heart and a soul that's filled with grace. And the giver now understands that since they have been forgiven, they can forgive. 
And, and since they've been given to, they give away. They begin to understand this principle that they actually become stewards instead of owners. That nothing that they own, not even their next breath or their next heartbeat, actually is anything that they can claim that is their own. Because isn't that the truth? Do you and I actually have power and control over our next heartbeat or our next breath? Or the ability to put one foot in front of the other? Truly? If you don't have this foundation of grace in your life, you'll not understand what it takes to become a giver. It starts there. The song in the heart is connected to what's offered in the hand. So Jesus said in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew's version of Jesus' ministry, he says this during the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Notice he didn't say the reverse, right? He didn't say, where your, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. It is an amazing thing, as we all know, being consumers in the 21st century. Your heart follows your stuff. <laughs> your heart follows your stuff. It's just the way it is. Zacchaeus' first sign of becoming a grace-filled man was, was to part with his treasure. It would not have worked. Salvation wouldn't have come if he would have said, like, I really like what you got to say, Jesus. You're a really great guy. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me. It's really been cool. Bye. There was actually material change in his life. He gave up something to the poor. Made reconciliation. And that's what was salvation. The action that comes with it. So therefore if you try and follow the logic here a little bit, the, the heart follows the treasure. So uh, the next thing that a giver is, is to get down to the practical thing is, is you have a spinning plan. You know, you've got to come up with a plan on how to do this. I mean, Zacchaeus actually said what he was going to do. He did the quick calculations. He had to have a sharp mind. He's doing like, I'm going to give away back four backs and like this. You know, he's thinking the whole thing through real fast. Like he, he's coming up with a plan. So you got to have a little calculator going on there in your brain or next to your brain anyway. Um, and um, so you've got to come up with a plan. And there's some real basic stuff here where it's not going to become a financial class or anything like that, but uh, it wouldn't hurt, of course, but especially here at the beginning of the year. But you've got to come up with, sit down with a pencil and a paper or a spreadsheet or whatever you got and pray over and strategize about how to, how to spend your money that you have. You've been given this small fortune during a lifetime. And um, it isn't all just about consuming, although that's perfectly okay to do. Uh, you haven't taken a vow of poverty. At least I haven't heard anybody here in the church doing it. Um, but let's just throw this in there. Here, here I quote CNBC's article on how much people were going to, how much people were planning to spend our last Christmas here just a few weeks ago. And here's what it says. I quote, in 2021, overall holiday spending reached a record overall spending $889 billion. That's a lot of stuff. Americans are expected to spend about $1,455 this past Christmas, this past season, according to Deloitte's latest study. That's around the same as last year's average of 1,463. So we're all spending about 1,500 bucks at Christmas. 
And then it goes on to say, but in some cities, consumers could spend nearly three times that much. Really? That's $4,500. And then you throw into this the next article that says, um, makes you wonder how many of these spenders have a spending plan because the next article quotes this statistic. It said, especially because the, the next article points out that millennials, sorry, millennials, overspent by 86%. At Christmas, I need more millennials as my friends because um, they're giving me a lot of stuff. Uh, but anyway, like, okay, it's a. I'll be kind at this point and say, guys, you're young. Get a plan. You need a plan. We all did it. So get a plan. You start with the calculator, and you figure it out. And at the core of the God honoring giver spending plan is planning how much to give away first. You, you put that in first. You take the giving off the top and live on the rest. I mean, the easy thing that logically did it for me is to say, like, if I had a 10% reduction in salary, would I still be able to live or would I be living in a van down by the river? And the simple truth is, is if you took it, if 10% was what you wanted to give, if you took that off the top, you would probably most likely, at least in our crowd, most likely you would still have enough to live on. You can give off the top. That's where you start with the plan. You prioritize that. That's the way the whole thing works. Um, so it, it comes to a dead end. A spending plan fails. And becoming a giver fails. When we start, when we begin by thinking, if I have anything left over after I've paid all my bills and mortgage and the car and all that kind of stuff, if I have anything left over, then I'll give it away. Fail. It doesn't work that way. It always has to start at the top. Spiritually, it puts us at the feet of Jesus when we start at the top. It puts us there as opposed to saying, like, I'll just give the leftovers. It says, I, I must trust in you. I'm living now on less. That's how it works. At the core of the God honoring givers spending plan is just planning on how much you're going to give away. That's the very first priority on the whole thing. Can you imagine what happens to that man or woman who lives by a strategic spending plan? At the end of the month, they feel like they've slain the consumer dragon, that they're no longer just being dragged around, you know, by expenses, by debt. At the end of the month, they feel like they've become this warrior because they have a plan and deep down inside, they feel the satisfaction of saying, like, I'm content with what I have. I'm not a slave to the things I spent that maybe I didn't have. All right, so moving on beyond the calculator, one of the most powerful features of being a giver on this journey to generosity is how, how you give your time. So let's put a watch Oh, this is going to be so terrible for all the people who can't handle this. Um, I think you'd put the stem going that way. Okay, I don't know. Um, so, it, by the way, does anybody have a watch like this anymore? Like a wind-it-up kind that isn't a like uh, one of those gajillion-dollar ones I see in the Economist magazine? You know. Anyway. Um, uh, so, but it's a metaphor. All right. So let's add the watch to our 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 giver. For many many times. Uh, this is the most. This is more expensive than money, right? Time. Nobody's laying on their deathbed saying, "I wish I had some more money." 
They're saying, I wish I had more time. Time, everyone, more valuable than money. In our day, it's become easier and easier to write a check to that, to, than to part with a few hours a week. And yet a giver, a generous person, is somebody who parts with their own time. The most powerful giving goes on when takers make the move, when givers, when they give of their time. And I'll simply say this, this, for those of us who've taken two weeks or a week or nine days or 15 days out of our life in a year and invested well over probably $2,000 of our money that we saved up and we went to China or we went to Africa or we went to Haiti or we went to Jamaica or we went to Syria or wherever you, you're, the Lord led you, that trip changed you more than anything else in your life. People who take a journey to serve somebody else that they don't even know, become transformed human beings. That is an investment of money when you give away your time to go on a trip that will change you forever. It did me, and it always has. That journey out of the country makes us generous. To get perspective on the entire world and how the rest of the world lives is incredible. And I challenge each one of us, young and old, to go and see and to serve and to listen and experience the lives of others that have very little. Time is love. Time is love. And time given away changes us forever. It is the investment of a lifetime. You know, if we don't invest time, <laughs> then we really kind of have put on blinders. Not only just to the world, but to God. And we become short-sighted. And we begin to live in the dark, just like Zacchaeus did for so much of his life. We put these blinders on and we begin to think, why can't everybody just get their act together and go get a job or something like that? You know? We oversimplify things and which thinly veil our own callousness and those that Jesus loves as much as anybody else. When my mother died in 1995, we had been living in Lee Summit for about seven months. And nobody hardly knew us in the neighborhood. And nobody knew my mother was dying. And out of the blue, a neighbor that I had only seen in their driveway brought over this huge, and I do mean huge, carrot cake. And I asked her, how'd you know my mother died? And she said, I saw it in the obituaries. And I had the thought that all you're having right now, like, you read the obituaries? You know, like, what? You know? And, and she brought over to some stranger a carrot cake. And I have to tell you, that woman could make a carrot cake. It was a best dang carrot cake. I'm not kidding. And I've compared all carrot cake to, to her carrot cake. The rest of these 28 years or whatever it's been. It was an awesome carrot cake. And it just was the most impressive thing. Somebody had the vision to look at the obituaries and see somebody, some guy whose mom had died. You know, over the years, um, my neighbors have cut my grass They've shoveled my snow when I'm out of town, picked up the newspapers that I forgot to cancel. Remember newspapers? And, um, you know, things like that. And then I've tried to do the same thing for them. The trash can that's laying in the street, 
you know, you just pull it back to the curb. Yes, you'll think you're the most magnanimous person on the planet for doing so. Or you could be the most bitter person in the world and say, like, why'd they let their trash can get out there? You know, give it up, man. Where's the heart? Any sort of service, any kind of time allows us to see and it is the most expensive kind of giving you can do. And it's in little tiny doses all day long. So how's your journey to generosity coming along? What, what song is in your heart? Is your hand open or closed? Do you have a plan? Is debt driving your finances these days? How's your time, talent, and treasure doing, folks? I mean, how's your stewardship doing of what God has given you and what he's blessed you with on your journey of generosity? If you had to say, are you a giver or a taker? And you can use percentages if you wanted to. But it all begins with the condition of your heart. So how's your journey of generosity coming along? It's time to check in. It is that time here at the beginning of the year. Do what you have to do. Get with a financial counselor or whatever you have to do. Even a simple plan is better than nothing at all. So this church, I have to say, will continue to be one of the best journeys I think you can invest in. I don't think we live frivolously. Um, I think we live strategically around here. We do a good job. And when these trips come available, and they will be coming available in this year already, when these trips come available, sign up. And we'll take as many people as we can. I think the first one coming will probably be to Jamaica. Very, very doable. Very, very doable. And see if you can't take your children as well. So let's see how we can do that. Get your trip fund figured out. All right? Sing the song of Zacchaeus, and you too will become a generous person either quickly or over time. And Jesus has imagined us to be all these kind of givers. Amen.